Last week's story is bookended by this story. So we're going back to cover some of the same territory, but it's not to go back to the same story. Now you remember when we were talking about the woman with the issue of blood, we ended with a wonderful phrase, and I hope you underlined it because it's in Mark 5, Mark 5 verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Wouldn't it be nice if we could say that to everybody? Wouldn't it be nice if people could hear your faith, your faith, your faith has given you what you desire. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I don't know if you have people with mental health issues in your family, but I do. I, I have people in my family that have mental health issues. I've I've been exposed to cutting. I've seen uh, bipolar, uh, possibly even uh, bordering on uh, some other disorders. I, I know what it is to see mental health from uh, a chaplain at a rescue mission. Uh, I know what it is to see people that if their suffering could be over, I would want it instantly. I would want it now. I've seen people suffer with anguish that... Uh, you, you just can't imagine to, to create your own physical pain, to try to relieve your own mental anguish is uh, uncomprehendable. I, I just can't comprehend the idea that if I can make physical pain occur on my body, it'll relieve my mental anguish. We, we look at the, the story here and we're going to get into hopelessness. How far do you believe God will go to resolve your situation? I, I have a regret in my life. My first child was a stillbirth, a full-term stillbirth. The week before, they were telling us we probably had twins because she was so big with toxemia that uh, they just knew something uh, beyond what they expected was happening. And it was, but uh, they shot the wrong diagnosis at it and... Uh, we had a full-term stillbirth all the way to the end, and the baby didn't arrive alive. And to this day, I believe I should have laid hands on that child and prayed that God would... I didn't see the baby until long after uh, the birth because we were so concerned with uh, my ex-wife's uh, survival. She was... Uh, her eyes rolling back, lips turned white. I thought she was going to die. And... Uh, when I went to see the baby, it was wrapped up in butcher paper like a ham at a meat market. And uh, they tore the seal and it opened up and the baby was laying on its back, a beautiful little baby girl. And her hand was on her chest, but just from gravity's effect, her hand moved. I almost punched a hole in the ceiling. It scared me, uh, just you know, spooked me. And I didn't reach over and just pray. I was alone in the room. It wouldn't have been anything that would have caused any concern on anybody's part. But at what point do you give up hope or quit believing that God is still able? At what point do you say, well, I have to accept this result? So we believe a lot of things that we're told. We're told by doctors, uh, you know, completely unrelated to... Um, completely unrelated to uh, uh, medical and human uh, experience, 
th this is so unrelated, you may not see the connection until the end, but uh, my truck was dying at stop signs, just dying. Uh, actually, it didn't happen until my wife was driving, and she never drives a truck, but she wanted to pick something up while I was at work, and she borrowed the truck, and then on the way back, it started dying, and uh, you know, then I drove it, and at a stop sign, it was dying. It was running so lean, it was in with a mechanic three times, and they said, just give up. It, there's a part we can't get, and it's obsolete, and we can't solve the problem. Just throw it away. And a friend of mine, I had a for sale sign on it, and a friend of mine said, well, that doesn't sound like the end of the road for you. I have another mechanic. I have another person that could look at it, and I believe they could fix it, and they did. There was a vacuum leak there, but there was also a bad coil. The coil packs on Fords are notorious for going bad, and I knew that. That's what I asked the mechanic before, and they said, oh, no, it's not a coil pack. The next mechanic said, yes, it is a coil pack, but there's also a vacuum leak. And so my truck was resurrected, and I was filled with hope again. And the point is, at what point do we believe it's too much for God? I believe a lot of Christians have fallen short because they think with their carnal mind instead of their spiritual mind. I think sometimes we rely on the natural too much and the spiritual too little. Sometimes we lack the ability to pray because it's so easy to flip out a medical card. I was in a denomination, not the Assemblies of God, when I started out, and they didn't have medicals. So, boy, they were some praying people. You know what I mean? It was all by faith because that's all you had. And then as a group in the early 60s, they were able to become a group medically, and they got medical coverage. And the ministers in my denomination, those great men of faith, set a record for first-year uh, insurance usage uh, among the coverage because all of a sudden they had an alternative and we could go with man's intelligence and instruction. Now, it's not that they shouldn't use a doctor, because I believe anything good that a doctor can do, God has allowed that uh, you know, knowledge and that ability. But at the same time, you know, these men of faith were so quick to uh, run to a doctor after many years of not having that easy access to medical care. Sometimes that's the way we are. We'll trust the Lord as long as we have to, but then we get to a point where some other avenue opens up and we'll just go that way. Why is God the last choice? First, I'll use aspirin, then I'll call the doctor, I'll take a prescription, and I'll go to the hospital, and they'll do a procedure, and then they'll tell me there's no hope, and then we'll say, oh, church, we need to pray. Well, why didn't you start with prayer? Why are you ending there? Why are we ending there? Why is it a last resort? Why isn't God taking our problem when it's this, you know, it's, um, it's like this. God said, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you, you can say to this mountain, right? To this mountain. God did not say, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this molehill, be thou cast into the sea. Why? Because we're going to make a mountain out of a molehill. So God said, I might as well just go to the mountain because that's where you're going to end up. And God wants you to understand something. There is a point where it's going to strain our faith to believe that God can see us through even though we can't see because there's no faith involved if we already have it in our hand. It requires faith when we can't see beyond the horizon, when we don't know what the answer is. When we have to believe something beyond belief. 
I think it's amazing that we had a prophet like Elisha that, you know, produced twice the miracles Elijah did. He asked for a double portion and God gave it to him. And they cared so little for the prophet, they threw him into an open grave. They just threw him in. We don't even care about you. This great prophet that did so much good, they just threw him in a hole. We're just glad to be rid of you. They threw somebody in on top of him and a dead man come leaping up out of the grave. Wow. Wouldn't I just love to have that testimony, you know? Maybe like, um, uh, names sometimes escape you, but there was, there was a minister who's uh, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth, his wife died, and he leaned her up against the wall and called her back. And the first thing she said was, Smith, what are you doing? And they sat down at the table and, and talked a little more, and then she passed away again. What, a, what an amazing faith that you could say, God, I'm not done with her yet. Give her back to me. And then you hear your wife say, what are you doing, Tim? What are you doing? I'm going to heaven. Now, I made bacon and eggs and toast. It's on the counter, but I'm out of here. See ya. Make sure you drink your greens. You know, I mean, it's, there's a whole thing. But it's so amazing how we... We come to a stopping point in our faith, don't we? Well, we might as well not go any further. This is the final stop. This is the end. This is where we quit. This is where we give up on God. This is where we stop believing. This is where we don't go any further. How many times do you think God is standing in heaven saying, No, that doesn't have to be the end. Come on. Let's go a little further. Let's see where this road leads. Come on. This man was um, a leader in the synagogue. He wasn't a rabbi, but he was the one that would organize things and done the maintenance and arrange for the rabbis. He was, he was the all-around guy, you know, did the security and, you know, just made sure everything was taken care of. And he would have possibly been as religious as some of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was a leader in the synagogue and well-respected, and he probably could have got the best care for his daughter. He was probably well thought of. In the Jewish culture, the rabbis were the superheroes. It wasn't all these DC and Marvel comic people. It wasn't people that are famous, uh, you know, people that are always posing. It was, it was these rabbis that were the, the superhero. So, this, it, it, you know, it would leak over onto the synagogue leader. And, and so this, this leader would, would ride the skirt tails of these rabbis and have influence because of his proximity to the synagogue all the time. And I'm sure that he got the help he could get. How many times have you gotten the help you can get? I've talked to believers that they've gone to the limit. You know, they, they flew to the Mayo Clinic. They, they went to the specialists. I, I know pastors that flew their, you know, their children out of the country to get some special treatment. And they also put them on the plane to fly to Benny Hinn or, or whoever might be able to pray and get a miracle. And in desperation, we'll do anything. But when do we, when do we stop believing? When do we quit? When do we say that's the end? Let's, let's, let's stop. 
Do you think God is um, mean? Do you think he's like a kid with a magnifying glass on an anthill, you know, just wanting to burn off our antennas? That's not God. He's a good father. He's the example of a perfect father. Now, there's times when we have stuff to learn, and he'll let us skin a knee because, you know, you can't ride the bike for your kid. They have to learn. You can run along and hold the saddle, but at some point you have to let go. And that might mean that it wobbles and, and they go down a few times. And in growing our faith, we're a lot like Peter sometimes. You know, sometimes we make a couple good steps on the water, but then we look at our circumstance and, and our carnal mind overtakes our spiritual mind. And instead of walking on water like we're on concrete, we go down like we're on water. Sometimes our faith just goes a few steps. And it can be a growth process. Sometimes we have to have a, a moment of faith that is crystallized and something amazing happens. And then the next time we believe, just a little bit more can happen. But we need to push the limits of our faith. If you can do it, you don't need God to get it done. There's no faith required if you can do it. If you can do it, there's no faith required. Faith means we're partnering with God and we're trusting Papa God with something bigger than we are. And if you're not dealing with anything that scares you, you're not dealing with anything. You're not going where God wants you to go because where God wants us to go is often a scary place where he says step off and we're like, mm, yeah, I don't know about this. Where God tells you to jump in the dark because I'll catch you. I've got you. I'm walk I've got your back. I'm going to catch you. I won't drop you. Trust me. The question is, do we? The devil's always going to flood your mind with doubt. That's what he did from the very beginning. Isn't that what he did to Eve? God didn't really say. You don't really think God would do that. God, you're not really going to die. Yes, you are, and they died spiritually immediately. Their eyes were opened, and life took a turn that would take an amazing Savior to reverse. Our circumstances were very difficult from that day on. And it's not that I wouldn't have made the same decision. I may have made it quicker. The thing was, Eve was deceived. Adam was not. He knew but when you got the only girl on the planet, what are you going to do? You're going to say, this is probably a bad decision, but let me try it. God help us to believe beyond belief that God can. And then help us to believe beyond belief that God will. He can. And he will. The Bible says if we know how to give good gifts to our children being evil, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to us? If your child asks for breakfast, you don't throw a snake on the table. If we can be that good, even in our carnalness, even in our corruption, how much greater can God be in his perfection? Now you know as well as I do, there are times that you withhold things from your children because it's not what's best for them. And it may be that God withholds something from me because 
it may not be what's in my best interest. But faith has to believe that God knows more than I do. Faith has to believe that God will get me through this. I'll give you an example. I had a woman that was speaking to me in a, in a very bitter story. She said her and another gal were, were party gals, you know, party girls. They drank, they sowed their wild oats, they lived the wild life. They'd both been little church girls, but when they were old enough to be independent, they were all, all in. They were independent party girls, and they were trouble. And they were getting in a lot of trouble. And one of them contracted cancer. And they raced back to their church roots and started praying. And the whole church started praying. And the one with cancer cried big crocodile tears. And, and her party girl buddy prayed big crocodile tears. And they repented of their wild ways. And, and they genuinely turned their heart over to God. And they prayed for a healing. They prayed for a healing. This is girls in their early 20s probably. I met the lady when she's probably 35, 40 years old telling me this story. And she was asking me as a pastor why God didn't heal her friend. I said, well, let's think about this. Your friend has been delivered and healed of her cancer and is enjoying eternity with God. If God had healed your friend, would you be in church today? Or would both of you be back out in the world? I had a lady come to my church one time. It was a daughter of the Sunday school superintendent. He was, he was just a nice old-timey Christian. But his daughter had married and got out of church, and her husband had left her. And she come racing into church, and again, just like the first story, she had big crocodile tears and got the whole church on board to pray for her marriage, and she repented and got back into church, and any time the doors were open, she was one of the first ones in there. She was in every service, every service, every service, and every time we asked for prayer, she was asking that we would pray that her marriage would not be dissolved, but it'd be saved. Her husband moved back in, and she quit coming to church. Why do we think we can use God like that and not have any consequences? I'm not so sure. But when do we quit believing that God is the one to go to when we have a problem? And God's the one to cling to in the good times and in the bad. You know, some people will run to God in the bad times. And some people will hide from God in the bad times. I've seen the best Christians make a mistake and instead of running to God in repentance, they'll run from God and nobody will be able to find them. And you'll find them and they'll be like, I knew better, I don't know what I was thinking. So what? Let's repent. Let's get back on track. Draw close to God. Don't run from him. Then there are people that just decide... God just is keeping me from my future. I've got to go find my way. I don't need God. We need God for the breath in our mouth. Your heart doesn't beat of your own accord. It's God doing that. You don't have any guarantee of the next breath. You know, I've seen so many athletes that were in so much better shape than I'm in that died 10 years younger than I am right now. I remember people that were health nuts and athletes and Olympic people, and they just Drop dead out of, not because they weren't in good shape, but because their time was up. When that last grain of sand drops out, it doesn't matter what you do. 
Now I can do things to prolong my life, get some weight off and exercise, whatnot, eat healthy. You know, the truth is, if you really look at it, if eating healthy and exercising and getting some weight off and doing all those things is prolonging your life, it may not be that you live longer. It only seemed that way because you weren't getting anything you really enjoy, you know. It could be. I don't know. I'm just saying. So let's look at this passage of Scripture here. <clears throat> it says in the book of Luke is where we're going to go. I don't know if she had the Mark one up there. And Mark's good, and that's we refer to it lightly, but we're going to go over to Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they'd been waiting for him. So his fame's out there. And they're anticipating him. They're excited. I, I'm kind of excited next Thursday. Not this Thursday, but next Thursday. The big boy is coming through Malvern. Anybody know what the big boy is? Well, we got two people. Then. Four. Okay. All right. So, ooh. Oh, people know what the big boy is. Uh, Union Pacific saved one of the largest steam locomotives that was ever built. And pulled the best one out of a park and put it back together. And it's coming through Malvern. Second time. I was there the last time. I went through too. And it's, if, if you have any interest in steam locomotives, it's going to be about 11 o'clock next Thursday. Not this, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow at 11 o'clock at the Amtrak station right there in Malvern. You can watch this amazing steam locomotive go through. It's called the Big Boy. The reason it got that nickname is the guy chalked it on there. One of the guys that helped build it chalked it on the front of the boiler and it stuck, and that was the nickname for the locomotives. The Union Pacific has a great fleet of heritage locomotives. One time I went into the roundhouse and was looking through the windows. I was trespassing. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. And um, the machinist came out, and I thought, oh, my goose is cooked. And he said, you want to come in and look? And I said, oh, yeah. He took me in the roundhouse, and I got to climb in and out of all these old steam locomotives that were, you know, off limits 100%, but I just happened to get a personal tour. I was so fortunate. Cheyenne, Wyoming, it's a wonderful place. Union Pacific keeps a lot of their locals there. But anyway, so the point is what? Let's get back here. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcome Jesus. The crowds are going to welcome the big boy because they're anticipating, okay? They're anticipating the return of this locomotive. Are you anticipating the return of Jesus? Do you live like you're anticipating it? I put it on my calendar. Next Thursday, 11 o'clock, you know, Malvern. Uh, the big, I was so excited. I put coins on the track, and I didn't even look for them because I was just, woo, woo, train, 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 train. My wife's like, yeah, train, 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 train. <laughs> so they're anticipating Jesus because they'd been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus a leader of the local synagogue came and fell at Jesus' feet. Jairus knew the opinion of a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were jealous and they hated Jesus. And from the very beginning, they were opposing him. But this leader of the synagogue had a more urgent need. You know, it's easy to hold a sign and, and protest and go against good things until it affects you. You know, we all have opinions until it comes home. I've seen people even compromise their uh, beliefs 
because somebody brought sin home and they adjusted for family. Uh, no, 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 no. Our, our stance don't change. We can love people through their, through their, you know, I never approved of my great uncle's drinking, but I love my great uncle. You can love people in spite of their sin, but that doesn't mean you approve of their sin. You don't have to let people self-destruct and go to hell with your approval. You can resist that with your love because they know what you believe. Let God convict them. I'm not anybody's judge. Let God do the convicting. But don't approve of sin. There's a man named Jairus, a leader at a local synagogue. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, about 12 years old, was dying. 12-year-olds are in a wonderful space. Adolescents, uh, preteens, are still, you know, wonderful people. They lose their mind when they turn 13. Some people speculated the devil may have been 13 when he rebelled against God because... That's the age where, you know, you don't know nothing. But 12, they're still your little girl, you know. They're still, it's still a different place, a different space. And uh, he was losing his daughter. And, you know, there is a special bond between mothers and sons and fathers and daughters. There is such a thing as a daddy's girl. I, I had two of them, two daddy's girls. And... After six grandsons, I was thrilled when we had a granddaughter because there's a whole different space for my granddaughter. I love my grandsons, all six of them. I love them dearly. Matter of fact, I have a video still that shows me just making a fool of myself to impress my oldest grandson. It's uh, goofy. But I love my grandson. But now he's losing his daughter. Just put yourself in the space of a loss and I'm sure all of us have experienced a loss of one kind or another. We've lost all kinds of things, haven't we? Not just family. We've lost friends. We've lost, uh, you know, acquaintances and people we dearly love, people we were close to, people that were our best friend, people that, you know, just for whatever reason, we've experienced loss. But, you know, we're not supposed to outlive our children. It's just not supposed to go that way. But it does happen. We had a time when there was sort of a blackout on a child that was out of state. And we knew he was getting into a little bit of trouble. And it was a very hard time not knowing because he wasn't responding to any contact effort. You know, we were trying to reach out to him. He wasn't answering. He wasn't getting back to us. And we didn't know if he's okay or not. Matter of fact, sometimes it's a relief when your kid gets in trouble because at least enough noise is made to know they're still breathing. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when you lose a child or think you may lose a child, it's a grievous space to be in. So here's, here's this leader of the synagogue in his 12-year-old's home dying. And no doubt, he'd done everything he could do. He'd gotten a hold of the doctor, the physician. He'd tried all the home remedies. He'd, he'd gone to the limit of what he could do. And... And we would go to the limit for one of our kids, wouldn't we? We'd do anything for our children. That's why they get away with picking our pockets, you know. That's why they get away with, with twisting our arm. That's why they get away with moving back in. That's why they get away with, because they're our kids, and we love them. 
You know, you see them leave at 18, and then you see them leave again at 38, and you think, well, the first time was better, but, you know, that's okay. You're, you're, you've mended your wing, and you're flying again. That's all right. That's good. But you don't want to lose them. As Jesus went with him, they were surrounded by crowds, and that's where the woman reached in and touched, touched the hem of his robe and was healed, and he felt virtue leave him. Now, here's a couple things that are happening. The man is urgent. I want Jesus to get there as quickly as possible. And then they're interrupted when he stops the momentum of their trip to his house. And he deals with this woman. And even though he's happy for the woman, he's pulling at Jesus. Come on, Jesus. My daughter's dying. No doubt when he, when he landed on the shore... Jairus was so anxious. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Please hurry. And Jesus saw the grief and saw the, the, the turmoil. And, and he said, I'll, I'll go. I'm willing. Then the woman touched the hem of his garment and it, it stalled their momentum. And he spends time and he says, virtue left me. Somebody touched me. And he went through that whole thing with the disciples talking about everybody's touching you. How could you tell one person touched you? He said, because somebody really touched me. Virtue left. I felt it. And that's when he said, you know, your struggles are over. No doubt Jairus was like, come on, come on. Let's go. Come on. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. This is what I'm talking about. The point where people believe that we can quit believing. There can be a point where you quit believing that God's going to help you get out of your dilemma, that God's going to take care of the problem that's in your way, that God's going to help you with your struggle, that God, God's tired of you. How many times do you have to come back for the same thing? How many times do you, you're just going to keep asking? How many times? When it comes to eternity, an infinite amount of times. You don't ever stop. Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Don't quit. Faith is always beyond the horizon. Faith is always bigger than you. Faith is always something more than you can do. If you could do it, why would you need God to do it? You know, there was a woman that was childless and she made a little, she made a little cottage, a little room. She told her husband, you know, I, I really, I think, Really wonderful things have come through the, the prophet. And, and we should return his, his, you know, I just feel like we should give back. And they made a little apartment and they told the prophet, here's a little apartment for you. One day the prophet said, you know, what can I do for you? And it's like, oh, you don't need to do anything for us. You're, 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 you're a gift from God and we just are glad to honor you. No, really, what can I do? I haven't been able to have a child. Well, get ready, because this time next year, you'll have one. You know, faith can go beyond our limitations. Has faith gone beyond your limitation at some point in your life? 
Maybe it needs to. Maybe it's something you quit hoping for. Something you let go of. Something you believe would never happen. That, that ship has sailed. Have you ever thought those thoughts? And sure enough, a child came. One day he's out in the field with dad. Just wasn't feeling right. And, and he died. She didn't talk to anybody about her plans. She just scooped him up, got a donkey, told the servants, get me a donkey ready, went straight to the prophet. How's your child? What is it with you that you'd give me something that God would take away? What do you mean? She took the prophet to see the child and he laid right down on top. Spread right out on the child. And life came back to the child. Well, that's beyond hope. That had to have some faith involved because here's the deal. People don't come back to life, do they? Jesus raised three people from the dead before he was raised from the dead. What was he doing? He was changing people's mindset. Get ready, get ready, get ready. That's exactly what he did. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Because I'm coming back. You destroy this temple and in three days, you'll see it again. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And this was the middle get ready. You can imagine the father probably fell down in the dirt, probably put his face right down in the dirt and probably sobbed right there in front of Jesus. He probably fell right down in the dirt and racking his bones with sobs. My, my little girl is gone. My can you imagine your little girl being gone. He probably just started weeping right there in front of Jesus. But when Jesus heard what happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't fill your way through the truth. Faith your way through the truth. Don't fill your way through the truth. Faith your way through the truth. You know, the problem is Christians run on feelings. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts. The devil will work with your emotions. God wants to build your faith. And faith will gird up its loins, get on that donkey, and go get the prophet like that lady in the Old Testament did. Feelings will just give in to grief. God didn't come to fill us with grief. He came to fill us with hope. God wants you to live life and life more abundantly. He wants you to believe for the impossible. God wants things. Look, Smith Wigglesworth is somebody you need to read a little bit about. One man came to him with no feet. He said, get a pair of shoes. I'd say size eight. Stick your stumps in there. God gave him feet. Oh, no, he wouldn't do that. Why not? Why not? Why do we say that? We're like a bunch of folks from Missouri. Oh, seeing's believing. I didn't see it. What's God capable of? What's he limited to? He's limited to right here. If we limit God, God's got a limit. If we open this up, God has no limit. Is, have you looked at the universe lately? 
on a clear night, step out there and go, oh, I guess that is pretty amazing. Get away from the city lights and imagine what God can do and quit thinking God's limited. He's not some little old man on a cane. Oh, I hate to bother God. He's probably tired. Let's grab him by the ankles and shake him real good. God, I'm crying out for you to move. I keep having this vision of God, and I can't really say that it's impressed anybody, but it's been on my heart for 10 years. I see God like stand up. You know, when I'm praying, I see God, I see Jesus just stand up with a big flowing robe and a sea of people in front of him, and God just melts into it. He just walks down off his throne and his robe's kind of moving out and it just encompassing all these people and he just melts in and becomes part of us. You've got to understand, God doesn't live in a temple behind a curtain. He lives right here. Right here. Right here. He never leaves you or forsakes you. What is the big thing in your life? What is the elephant in the room? Oh... We don't talk about that. Well, you better. It's time to start. Don't be afraid. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I like that translation the best. Power and love and a sound mind. I've never lived in a time when there was more mental health issues. You know why? Because the way people believe and the way people live is different. When you find mental health problems, you find dissonance. You find a separation between what, God, what people believe and where people live. You've got to bring these together. And the only way for those to really align is for God to be in us. We need the empowering presence of God to be who we need to be and do what we need to do. And if we won't put God in the equation, it'll never work out. We've got to have God. He said, don't be afraid, just have faith. Be sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. I'm sure that I want my daughter. I'm certain she can live. And she will be healed. Well, if you're going to get the word from anybody, get it from God. Your prayer will be answered. You have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because God's decided not to answer. The Bible says ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll knock and it doesn't say knock and you'll hear God on the other side click the deadbolt. It doesn't say seek and God will say shh, shh, shh. Wait till they go away. Shh. I think they're leaving. They're giving up. Okay. Turn Bonanza back on Jesus. Okay. I want to see how the car rides do. Don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. Professional mourners. Don't we need more of those in our life? 
Oh, those people that come alongside you and talk about how bad it is. Oh, you got it so bad. Oh, it's so terrible. Oh! Shut up. <laughs> and that's what Jesus said. He said, stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed. Your faith may be... Um, the focus of derision. There may be people that laugh at your belief. There may be people that make fun of what you believe. There may be people that don't think it's cool what you believe. Or they don't think it's the thing. You know, it's not the thing. Don't go to church. Go to a, you know, go to a, uh, you know, one of these guys that will teach you how to have some positive thinking. You just need positive. The power of positive thinking. Go ahead, put that up against the power of the living God. Let's see who wins. I think if you think positive, you'll be okay. No, I think if you believe in Jesus, you'll be okay. Stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she'd died. They already knew the truth. Isn't it interesting how our truth supersedes God's truth? How my experience supersedes God's experience. How my knowledge is greater than God's knowledge. How my wisdom is better than God's wisdom. Isn't it interesting how smart we think we are? You know why Christians get robbed by the devil? They don't know their Bible. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness? He quoted scripture. He didn't say, oh devil, I've known you a long time. In my opinion... He said, no, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. You need to understand, I know the truth and you're not going to fill me with your lies. The devil will tell you part of the truth, but he'll, he'll twist the end. He'll give it a little deflation. He'll take a little of the truth out of it. He'll, he'll pad it a little bit. And God says, you know, Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There are people deceived in this world. You don't have to look very far to see it. I had a minister jump up in my office. We were having a conversation. He was, you know, buying a building, and I didn't even know he was a minister. We were just talking. And he jumped up and swore at me. I thought the deal was off, but I guess he wanted the building more than he cared what he thought of me. And... Uh, I tried to find some real common ground real quick, and I found out he was a minister, so I could cool him down by talking about church and pastoring and being a minister. He was angry because my opinion on everything didn't line up with his opinion on everything. When did it come to the point we have to agree with everybody? I agree with the Lord, but it doesn't mean I might disagree with you about something else, something more trivial, something less uh, significant. I'm not going to disagree with you about truth, about the word of God, but I might disagree about something. You know, you may say the color green is the only color. I mean, if you're going to wear clothes, wear green. What? I, I like blue. Maybe I'll wear blue. Well, bless God, that just ain't right. Green's the color of God. God loves green. Oh, come on. I'm going to wear red next time. The crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. 
How many people have laughed at you because they already knew the outcome? They thought they already had the answer. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. Get up. At that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I always thought that was a beautiful thing. We get so caught up in the miraculous, we forget that we still have needs. She comes back from the dead, and he says, Make her a sandwich. She's been dead. She's probably hungry. Think about it. That's God. He goes beyond the moment. We're like, well, she's alive. If God brought her alive, she probably ain't even hungry. Oh, yeah, she's hungry. Go to Sonic. Get her a big drink. They got corn dogs on special. Get her two or three. Make sure you get the mustard because it makes it so much better. God wants you to understand that he knows not only your spiritual need, but he knows your physical need. He knows your carnal need. He knows everything. So when he brought her back to life, and the moment her life returned, she immediately stood up. And Jesus said, give her something to eat. And her parents were overwhelmed. You've gone from the grief of losing your child to the joy of having her back. You've gone from the certainty that it's the end to the certainty it's the beginning. Some people think of salvation as the end of something. It's the beginning of everything. It's the end of nothing. Your life apart from Christ did not have any eternal value. It had an eternal value when you entered into a life relationship with God. It's not the end, it's the beginning. So many people look back with longing at something that was killing them and they can have life. Why choose death when I can have life? God stands before you and says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. And we keep looking over there going, hey, what about that death thing? What's over there? Nothing. Nothing. Don't go backwards. Go forward. I used to scare my driving instructors when I was a kid because I could back up in a straight line really fast. I didn't mean to, but it was more fun. And I didn't wobble. Man, when I was a kid, I could put it in reverse and womp. I said, how'd I do? Fine, just stop right now. Well, thank you. Do I pass? Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted they didn't tell anyone what had happened. They wouldn't have to tell anyone what happened. When the 12-year-old showed up at school, everybody knew what happened. God help us. We don't have to explain God to anybody. If we're living the life God intends for us to live, they know there's something different about us. If we're living the Christian life the way God intends for us to live, we're not walking the same path as everybody else. We're not the same. I'm not the person I would be apart from Christ. If you think, man, he needs improvement, imagine what I'd be without God. Everybody knows if we live the life God must be involved because he couldn't be that person without God. God help us to be the person that God intends for us to be because the light that streams out of us when God's inside will pierce their darkness. I remember when I witnessed to that dentist. He was a Buddhist married to a Catholic inquiring about Christianity and I presented the gospel 
And he took a step back. And I knew I'd penetrated all his armor. He was curious until it reached him. And then he didn't want to talk about it anymore. And all I could think was, God, water that seed. I got the seed in the ground, but I, I'm not going to be the one to bring it home. He made that clear. Light pierces darkness. We can't smother this room with darkness by bringing in more darkness. But when we bring in more light, darkness has to flee. Don't ever forget, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No matter how the heathen rage, no matter how the devil stirs the pot, God's still on the throne. God's still in charge. God's still conquering. God still goes beyond death. God still goes beyond whatever your worst scenario is and accomplishes his plan, his will. How many times have you worried about something and you look back and you see how God just... Love you right through traffic. God fixed it. God redeemed you. God helped you. God restored you. God finished it. God changed it. You know, so many times we don't praise God for answered prayer because it happens so naturally. It's like a hand in a glove. And we just don't realize God did it. We said, God help us. We move on. The problem solved. And we just accept it as the natural order of things. No, it's the God order of things. We live on a different plane God, help us to live on that different plane. Don't look through the world's eyes. Look through God's eyes. He'll fill you with more compassion than you've ever had. Don't let the news reporter tell you what to believe. Let God tell you what to believe. Whose report are you going to believe? Let's believe the report of the Lord. Let's elevate ourselves beyond what we can see, beyond what we can touch, beyond what we can taste, beyond what we can hear. Let's see through God's eyes. It says we're seated in heavenly places. Let's see it from God's perspective. God says, just have faith. Don't be afraid. We've been through more than a year of this COVID mess. We've been through whatever your opinion is. We've been through some political mess. We've been through some economic mess. We've been, we've been through mess after mess. We're, the world's kind of tied up in some knots. God's bigger than all that. God's bigger than whatever you feel about anything you feel. It's not about feelings. It's about facts. And the fact is, God's on the throne. God's in charge. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The wealth of the wicked is, is gathered up for the righteous. God has good things for us. Quit talking defeat and start talking victory. You know, before they ever go out to battle, a war is won or lost in the hearts of the soldiers. Do you believe you're going to win? When David put down Goliath, boy, the Israelites believed they could win then. But before he put down Goliath, they believed they would lose. Look at him. That guy's got to be nine feet tall. We can't win against that. David, this little runt, goes out there with a slingshot, puts him down, cuts his head off with his own sword, and holds the head up, and all of a sudden Israel's like, maybe we got this. I can do all things through Christ. So what's the elephant in the room? What's the trouble that's dominating your thought what's the what's the sorrow what's the grief what's the fear if god's not giving us a spirit of fear who's giving us fear if it's not god it's coming from the devil our struggle is not with people 
Quit pinning it on people. All those people in the Middle East that are giving their lives with suicide bombs and all these, they're people that are deeply deceived and need Jesus. They need Jesus. I would that Christians had the conviction that some of these terrorists have. God help us to believe beyond belief. Don't let anything stop your faith. Don't let anything bring you to the end. Well, I guess God's done. Uh, yeah, you know. Let's buy a casket for her, honey. Uh, she's dead. He'd already been told she's dead. They're not even to his house yet. She's dead. She's just going to be more dead when we get there. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Have faith. She'll be healed. Jesus walks in and says the most idiotic thing. She's just sleeping. Don't worry about it. She's getting a nap. They had a good belly laugh, and he said, uh, you guys can just stay out there. I need a room filled with faith. Let's shut the door. Now get up, girl. And she got up. What do you believe? How far will your faith extend? If it's not got you walking on water, then it maybe needs to go a little further than you've taken it before. We need to believe against belief that God can do anything. I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do a few things through Christ if he's of a mind to let me. No, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What are you going to believe? I'm going to believe the Lord. I'm going to believe the Lord.